So today's gospel presents a parable where Jesus sort of lays out the meaning. When we pray, we ought to pray in great humility, not in comparing ourselves to others and somehow thinking that we are better than them. What I want to do today is sort of take the basic theme of the parable and change it up a little bit. I'm not trying to say that Jesus' parable wasn't good enough, but to look at it from a different light that might be fairly applicable to our situation today. And so it's the same thing. There is the temple. The Pharisee and the tax collector both walk in. And the Pharisee takes up his position, but instead of what we hear in today's parable, he really begins to pray. He really asks the Lord for mercy. He gives him praise. He gives him glory. He's a good Pharisee, understanding who he is in his relationship to God. A very genuine and devout prayer. But the tax collector comes in, and instead of putting his head down and asking God for mercy, focuses on that Pharisee and thinks to himself, I think that Pharisee's judging me for being a tax collector, for being a sinner. I feel very judged by that tax collector, so I'm leaving the temple. I'm not going to come back over here because I don't like that Pharisee's attitude. I think that this, this parable, new version of it, can speak to a lot of what we see in the church today. People who feel judged by other people, particularly Catholics who might feel judged by other Catholics, even when there is zero evidence that these other Catholics are actually judging them. They just feel like they are being judged. And so we look at this, and it's something I've talked about before, one thing that we can know that the person who's actually judging is that tax collector. There's no evidence that the Pharisee is judging, but that tax collector is actually judging. And so whenever we say that we feel judged by another, we're actually the ones who are judging the other person, although we really have no idea what's going on in their mind and their heart. The irony, though, is we're actually really judging ourselves. This is a form or an expression, if we get down to it, of self-criticism. We are comparing ourselves to the other person in a certain sense, projecting on them what we may really feel about ourselves. Our own self-criticism, which is often rooted in our own insecurity, our own shame, our own fear of being disliked, ultimately our own anxiety. So often when I hear people say, I felt judged by this other person, what it speaks to me is that this person has a deep insecurity, might be dealing with a fair bit of shame. So we think, though, looking at Jesus as the ideal individual, did Jesus ever feel judged by other people? Did he ever feel that others were judging him? 
when he had no cause or evidence to believe they were? And the answer is pretty obvious, no. The truth is, Jesus was really judged by other people. That's all the Pharisees really did. They judged Jesus for who they thought he was. But yet he didn't let it bother him. So here's the thing. We're not really being judged by somebody. We're bothered by it. But here's Jesus really being judged, and he's not bothered by it at all. It doesn't affect him one bit. Why? Because Jesus was deeply aware of his relationship with his heavenly father and his identity as son. Constantly, every minute of his life, he lived under the gaze, the look of his heavenly father. And what's more, Jesus' eyes, his soul, was also, along with his human intellect, was looking at his heavenly father. This is sort of what makes Jesus different than us. We can have our gaze on God, but we don't actually have the beatific vision on earth. Jesus did. We're going to have it when we get to heaven. But regardless, Jesus was always aware that the Father's eyes were on him, thus anchoring, in a real way, his identity as a son. So keeping this in mind, it points us to the real problem or the real fault of the individuals in each of the parables, the one in the gospel and the one that I presented. In both parables, whether it be the Pharisee or the tax collector, their gaze is set on the other person. In the first one, the Pharisee is looking at the tax collector and comparing himself to the tax collector rather than keeping his eyes focused on God, whether being aware that God is looking at him, even though he's in the Father's house. In the same way in the second parable, it is that tax collector who is more worried about the fact that maybe the Pharisee is looking at him, but he's got his gaze set on the Pharisee and not on God. They're too busy, worried about other people, comparing themselves to other people, to actually be aware of the Father's gaze, looking upon them with love while they're in the Father's house. And so the first parable actually says the tax collector was looking down. Why? Because of his guilt, not because of his shame. Remember the distinction. Shame is we're sorry for who we are. Guilt is sorry for what we've done. He's sorry for what he has done, but he's still aware that God is there. And he's asking for mercy for the things that he has done. The problem comes when we walk in, not with guilt for what we've done, hopefully go to confession, but a deep shame for who we are. Insecure in our very, very identity. Anxious about our relation to others and constantly comparing. What happens is, is we hide in the shadows. Not living in the gaze of the Father, and the, near the heart of the Father, but in the shadows, just worried about what others are thinking of us. And so to overcome this tendency of the tax collector in my parable, the key is to be like Jesus. The key is to live in the gaze of the Father. 
If we go to the prodigal son, also in the parable in the Gospel of Luke, when that prodigal son is coming back, before the father embraces him, the father sees him from a long way off. He then begins to exist in the gaze of the father, and so mercy goes out to meet him. Think of Jesus. Jesus, who is the image or the icon of the father, And so when Jesus looks at someone in the gospel, it's actually the Father looking at them. So think of John chapter 4 and that Samaritan woman and Christ's look of mercy upon her. She, who was so filled with shame, she was going out at noon to get her water. Jesus looked at her not with eyes of judgment, but with eyes of merciful love, which transformed her heart and led her to go out and proclaim the gospel. And so often, we are all filled with shame, and so we want to hide, but even more, our concept of who God is is flawed. Instead of that loving Father who wants to see us with the eyes of merciful love, we see him as this just judge, detached, spying on us, writing down every little thing we've done. There's often our concept of God that needs to change, along with the concept of who we are in relationship to him. And so when we do it, when we begin to walk out of the shadows and the insecurity and comparing ourselves to other people and feeling judged by others, and we walk into the gaze of the Father, things change. Just like Jesus, we know our identity. We know that we're sons and daughters, and he's got our back and he's watching us. We feel loved. We're not worried about comparing ourselves or being jealous to anyone because we're thankful. We know whose opinion really matters. We know that we are loved. And even more so, we're willing to show that love and that gaze to other people. If that tax collector would have been living in the gaze of the Father in my parable, he would have not worried about what that Pharisee might be thinking, but instead would have been confident and been able to look at that Pharisee with a gaze of love. The more we're aware of our Father gazing upon us, the more we're willing to do it to others. So how to do it? How can we live in the gaze of the Father? Like I said, we're not Jesus. There's no hypostatic union with our humanity, and we're not part of the Trinity. We are separate human persons. The first thing that we've got to do is be aware of our interior states. It takes a fair bit of self-knowledge. Realize when we are criticizing ourselves, when we're tearing ourselves down, when we're feeling that shame. Important, we've got to admit our sinfulness. We gotta know when we do things that are wrong, but God never is there to destroy us, to bring us down. We're always sons and daughters. And so whenever we're feeling judged, we've gotta be aware of it and practice what one spiritual writer says is active rejectivity. I reject these thoughts. I reject these ideas, they're lies, they're not true. I'm not gonna believe them. I'm not gonna live in the realm of the shadows. Difficult to do, but it is very possible. When we begin to feel judged, when that shame and that self-criticism comes, we reject it actively. Second, 
is probably very, very important, close to that, is to have people in our lives that show us the gaze of the Father, that show us that unconditional love. As I said a few minutes ago, we're all called to do that to others. And there certainly are individuals who are more aware of God the Father's love for them and more able to show that love to other people. And so we should all hopefully have, or at least search out for people who can do that, that affirm us, that love us, that build us up. If we live in their gaze, seeing the Father, seeing us through them, then that can begin a transformation. And maybe a slow process of erosion to destroy the self-criticism and the self-hatred and accusation, but it's very effective. And third and finally, and most powerful, and I can tell you I see this in the people who are most aware of the Father's love for them, is the practice of consistent Eucharistic adoration. Because when you come to adoration, yeah, you are gazing upon Jesus, but more importantly, Jesus is looking at you. And the Father, through Jesus, is looking at you. And whether you realize it or not, you're living in that gaze. And through the grace that comes to the Eucharist, it begins to transform our minds and our hearts. It begins to change us gradually, even though we may not know it. It's really living in the gaze of the Father. So imagine, in conclusion, going back to that parable, where both the Pharisee and the tax collector walk in, both acknowledging that they are sinful, that they are not perfect in need of God's mercy, but still deeply aware of God the Father's love for them and their identity as sons, the whole thing changes. They're able to walk in with confidence. They're able to ask for the Lord's forgiveness. They're able also to see each other as they truly are, to be able to be loving, to be able to be welcoming of the other, and to live in that community that the Father desires his children to exist in. Amen.